0: Gen C is the generation of the new internet. In Gen C, the C stands for crypto, but it also stands for creators, the connected consumer and collectibles, both digital and physical with on-chain provenance. It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship, and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they look at the hybrid, digital, and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen C. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special bonus episode of Gen C. Today, we are going to talk with Jason Somonsato, a former CFTC regulator. We'll tell you what that is in the conversation. He's the head of North American Public Policy for Chainalysis, who's a great partner for us here at Gen C. Jason and I had a great conversation focusing on two, I would say, major themes. One of which is kind of the emerging crypto markets and then the regulation happening around them, both in the U.S. as well as globally, which we believe is really important for anyone building in this space to know, but especially those in the brand world, just to understand where the opportunities lie and where the watchouts are. And then secondly, we went a little bit deeper into understanding data, transparency, understanding the difference between your best customers and the bad actors and how brands can protect themselves for such. We talked a little bit about sort of Web2 data and how Web2 platforms have monetized consumer data for so long and what data in Web3 means, which also is a pretty fascinating topic. And then because Jason also was a former regulator, just really interesting to hear his insights on why regulation is so challenging. And I thought that was actually one of the most interesting parts of this conversation. So enjoy this bonus episode of Gen C with Jason Somisato from Chainalysis. And we'll see you next week. All right. We are here for the special episode with. Jason Somensato. Jason is the head of North American Public Policy at Chainalysis. There's so much going on in the world of regulation and understanding where we're going, and crime, and data, and all of this stuff that we thought it'd be great to have Jason on the pod. So first of all, Jason, welcome. Excited to uh, talk to you.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Sam.
0: Jason, before we get into kind of some of these deep topics, I would love to just understand a little bit about like what were you doing before you came to chain analysis and then what your role is now but how long you've been in the space what got you in what's interesting to you about it.
1: Yeah, so I'm fairly new to chain analysis. I just joined in the last couple of months. Before then, I was working at the CFTC, which interestingly enough, I think a lot of people in crypto actually know as opposed to most normal people out in the world. The CFTC is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, which is the derivatives regulator here in the U.S., but importantly, has played a role in helping kind of define what the current regulatory environment looks like in the U.S. as it relates to at least certain digital assets. And when I was there, I was an advisor to the chairman of the agency working on specifically crypto policy matters. Did you work with Commissioner Mersinger? So she is one of the commissioners. I work for Chairman Benham, Austin Benham, who's testified in front of Congress a few different times on this particular topic. But he leads the agency. I was kind of his direct advisor on crypto matters. Got it.
0: We were in Madrid last week and we spent some time with her and she was actually really a wonderful person. So
1: Yeah, the CFTC as a general matter has a lot of thoughtful people on this particular topic who've been very engaged over the years. And I think that's part of the reason is they've been able to carve out a role for themselves in the regulatory conversation because of that proactivity. Yeah, but before that, I was in the industry specifically working at X as their first legal hire. And before then had been a lawyer in private practice for quite a while and have been kind of focused on issues in the industry dating back to about 2014. Oh, fantastic.
0: Tell us a little bit about your role now at Chainalysis.
1: Yeah, so at Chainalysis, as the title suggests, I'm focused on public policy. So that looks like, particularly out of the U.S., following a lot of the developments that occur within Congress, within the agencies, as it relates to kind of what the policy decisions are going to be as to how to regulate this market. And in that role, I help advise our team internally as to what's happening so that they can adjust the business appropriately. I engage with lawmakers and with regulators to kind of share our views on where we think regulation should go. And, you know, Chainalysis as a data company has a lot of helpful insights on that topic. And we try to share those to help shape what we hope to be a trustworthy crypto network ecosystem going forward.
0: So we have a lot of founders, brands, marketers, builders who listen to Gen C. I'm interested in if you could give like a 60 second explanation of why they should be thinking about brand safety specifically in their approach to blockchain projects and experiences.
1: Yeah. So I think the helpful thing to understand about the crypto ecosystem is it's a new paradigm, right? And that new paradigm comes with new benefits and new risks. And on the kind of benefit side, right? I think most people are connecting into this ecosystem to get advantage of this kind of global accessibility fast transactions, programmable money, money Legos, whatever your favorite term is, that necessarily brings upon some level of risk of, you know, who's accessing these networks? What's the kind of new form of cybersecurity threats and criminal activity that might impact your brand participation in this environment? From Chainalysis' perspective, we focus a lot on helping build the kind of compliance infrastructure That would allow brands to enter this space safely. And through that, we have a lot of data. And so one of the things we see is, I think it's less than a quarter of 1% of all activity within crypto ecosystem transactions constitutes what we would label as illicit transactions. So the risk is fairly small. But as I said before, that kind of paradigm is the risks are very new. And so it takes thinking about it in a new way. And I think one of the ways that companies who are entering this space or engaging need to think about it is partly on the transparency of all the information available. And that's really, at least from Chainalysis' perspective, where we come in, we try to bring context to all of that information for either the brands or in some cases the government around what is occurring in these networks.
0: So just to pick up on what you just said, because I think there's something interesting there, crypto as a brand, and I know we'll talk about that in a little bit, but crypto as a brand, I think, still people assume that an overwhelming majority of transactions that are happening in crypto are illegal. I think you just said it was a 0.25% of 1% is actually illicit in your labeling. But I do think that there is something to the idea that if I had a retail store and I knew that someone coming in to pay had just robbed a bank to pay for the object that they wanted, I might not sell it to them. And really that to me is something that I think people don't understand, crypto kind of allows you to do that, right? You can tag something, an asset or an account to say, this might be doing some bad stuff and therefore make a decision if you actually want to do business. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Again, it's kind of a new risk paradigm that I don't think companies get to even think about in some traditional ways, right? And mainly from that data availability perspective. But yeah, what we do at Chainalysis is basically look at all of this blockchain data and combine that with open source information that we can get with kind of machine learning about heuristics of what type of activity is occurring, and then also information that we get from our customers, whether they be you know like government agencies and law enforcement or whether they be private sector, to then be able to serve up to businesses and to other clients. That kind of insight you probably are not used to having if you're building a business outside of the crypto ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You know, and that looks like looking at is the source of this funds ultimately can be traced back to some illicit activity. But it's also, you know, hey, what's the nature of the activity that the wallet that's interacting with my service does on a regular basis? Is this a bunch of small wallet holders who are really engaged in my product only and don't spend a lot of time in the rest of the crypto ecosystem? Or is it people who are jumping throughout a bunch of different crypto protocols? A lot of that information can be gleaned from operating in this space and taking advantage of some of the tools like analysis,
0: I kind of love what you're just saying, because I think that there is something about modern business, because you mentioned the phrase programmable money earlier, which I think is a really fascinating concept. But the idea that at some point when all of our currencies are digital, understanding the provenance of this financial currency allows me to make business decisions, which is just, I don't know, it's pretty cool. I would love to talk a little bit about the kind of global footprint of crypto and blockchain. I just got back from Madrid. And one of the things at the event that we were at there was how many people there compared to the US are talking about solving these real world use cases of the volatility of government, the volatility often of currencies. And to me, that's always something that's been one of the most exciting use cases is how emerging markets are looking at crypto. Are there any insights or trends that you focus on about the growth of the global crypto ecosystem.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question because I think inherently crypto is a global technology, right? Anybody can spin up a node and join these networks, but in reality, you're obviously going to see different types of activity across different jurisdictions. One of the things that we are actually in the process of doing right now with chain analysis and that we do on an annual basis is kind of taking all the data that we have and analyzing what crypto adoption looks like across the globe in different countries. And I think, you know, just a few of the interesting observations that we see is some of the countries that are at the top of that kind of grassroots level crypto adoption are what we call lower middle income countries, which is, you know, not necessarily all the discussion might revolve around where there are big markets like the US and stuff, and it is true that as a general trend, crypto activity is, is definitely down over the last year. But the adoption rates in countries like India, and in Nigeria, and some of these other countries is pretty well sustained. And that's what the data is demonstrating. And then it raises questions that I think becomes relevant to businesses that are thinking about operating in these spaces of like, what is the makeup of the customer? Why is the activity more there versus in some other countries? And I think it can be a myriad of factors, right? It can be, one, a reflection of the infrastructure within those countries, right? I think the common argument you hear from the perspective of people in the US like me is, hey, you know, Apple Pay works, why do I need this? That same argument does not apply equally in every country across the world. And so I think from the perspective of, Companies who are operating in this space, regulators and policymakers who are thinking about this, one of the important things is, yes, it's a technology, there's some uniformity to how it's used throughout the globe, but really the way that it is used varies quite a bit based on a lot of different factors.
0: And I think people often talk about the rise of the global south, and I think not everyone understands what that is. So can you sort of define, because you mentioned some of the countries that would fit in there, what the global south is?
1: It's interesting, right? My dad was a World Bank economist for 40 years. And so the different terminologies we use to kind stratify different countries can vary quite a bit. The way I tend to think about it is when we're describing the global South, a lot of times what we're talking about is countries that have not the same level of financial infrastructure that maybe we're used to in Western and U.S. countries and whatnot. And within that environment, you see the ideas and the innovations of something like cryptocurrency networks as a sizable step forward in how you transact in those countries. And so thus a willingness maybe to take on the adoption risk that might not be worth the risk in some other countries.
0: So when we look at the Global South and that these are places that may not have as advanced a kind of financial set of tools that people can utilize, but as maybe crypto and related technologies come to sort of fill that gap, then I look at it that that's also an opportunity for new customers, new businesses, new people coming on. So like, do you look at that also as like, this is actually an area of growth for us long term?
1: The short answer is yes. I think there's a balance there, right? When you're talking about building out new financial infrastructure within countries that might have historical incidents of corruption or lack of infrastructure for some of these transactions. It's clear there is opportunity there. As someone who is like a former regulator and policymaker, I think that needs to be balanced with the idea of what you're putting in place and what you're offering to customers, and there might be new ones, should be more responsible, more trustworthy than what you're attempting to replace, right? Because you have population of people who might be excited to try something new and might be willing to take that risk that I mentioned earlier. But putting in some structure that can just as easily be abused or is not well thought out is not going to be helpful in adoption or safety for those individual customers. And so kind of bringing it back to where we sit in the environment, and this is true both in the US, but also, I mean, we're a global company that services customers throughout the world. I think we see a role for companies like ours who can embed some level of trust within these networks in a unique way, right? Specifically, looking at data, bringing that context to the companies and the individuals who are operating in there so that they can make informed decisions in a way that says, okay, this is going to be a better system for these countries that are willing to jump into this. And yeah, there's more people coming on board, but they're going to be better protected. And I think That is an ongoing discussion that we're having, right? What does that look like? What are the standards? And that's not just happening in the South, right? Obviously, the regulatory and policy discussions in the US are just as hot around some of those issues.
0: I mean, great segue to turn into that. Like, just given your experience and your role, what is your take on kind of US approach to regulation? Why do you think it is so hard to get any sort of meaningful regulation passed on blockchain? Because I think it is one of the things that I think a lot of our audience and a lot of the brands are kind of just a lot of wait and see because they don't want to do anything that at some point breaks the rule.
1: Yeah, you got like five hours, Sam. Um, (laughs) I'll give you you 120 seconds. It's really complex. (laughs) Um, Here's what I'll say. I think a few factors that people need to consider are, one, in the US, there's an extremely robust financial regulatory system already in place. And the reason that I originally got interested in crypto was probably less idealistic and more just academically interested in how it really disrupted some of the structures that are in place in terms of how we do regulation and how we think about that. And so it will necessarily require a lot of time if you're asking, for example, Congress to rethink how it applies the securities laws to, you know, that it's been applying for 100 years. So there is that kind of opposite of what we were talking about before where you have a lot of infrastructure built up it's worked well to bring like prosperity and there is a lot of open questions as to how much do you want to change that for the sake of this industry which leads to a second interesting point right which is what is this industry we talk about it you got a podcast about it crypto right which is really a technology it's a little bit of a cultural movement It's a lot of things, but I think one thing that it's difficult for policymakers to wrap their head around is what role is it going to play in the economy on a going-forward basis. If we are looking at certain platforms that are maybe just allowing trading back and forth between tokens and people like to price speculate on that, well, how important is it to change the rules for something like that? And which rules should be changed, which is vastly different than saying, hey, we are going to change how intellectual property for brands is monetized, you know, completely through NFTs and unique systems like that, that might present a completely different set of questions, but also might be more interesting from a policymaker's perspective. And so there's a little bit of not just the pressure on the policymakers of like, why can't you figure this out? But a return question on like, the industry of what is it you're building? How big and meaningful and disruptive is it going to be are all these grand visions that you have going to come true and again i think we then at chainalysis sit in this unique role somewhere in the middle there where we say whatever it is you the innovator you know and companies are going to build in this ecosystem such that the discussion is going to be had of like we've got to figure this out at the us level well, it is going to be really important to show that you're addressing the risks that the policymakers are thinking about, right? The risk of illicit activity, you know, and we've seen activity in this space that, you know, this is the week of the SPF trial starting, right? So like, you understand the nature of the risks that kind of come with this industry at this stage. And so I think it's just all part of a big evolution of both the government side and the industry side. That's kind of like, really high level, I could probably spend hours talking about <laughs> like different members of Congress and how broken, you know, the system is and right, all right. of that questions, but I won't go there for now.
0: I mean, the point that I take away, which I think is a really salient one for our audience, is the idea that if someone said, great, we have to regulate the internet, then you're like, cool, but are we regulating email or streaming services or data privacy or commerce, right? Like there's so many pieces of what the internet are. So then instead they say no, it's actually easier to try to regulate TikTok. TikTok at least is a single entity one can go after whereas crypto is a lot of decentralized entities where you don't even know where they are. So I think that that is I think a good nuance to think about which is hey, we might need to look at defi in one bucket and tokenization of real world assets in a third in a second and then yeah, like, can an NFT be part of a membership program? And all of those are actually different discussions we have to have and think about consumer protection around those. Is that like the right way to simplify that?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely think that's right. I think scale really matters, is kind of another way of saying that. It's scale and what you're building, right? Which is, I always like analogies to like other things that look similar, right? And if you think about the development of Uber and Airbnb, those also caused regulatory and policy questions of like, hey, what does it mean to regulate taxis in the way that we do? Should we allow this? Is this all a violation? And the reason we probably netted out where we did is because ultimately Uber became global. And, you know, if Uber was just in Jacksonville, Florida, and that was the only town it was in, you wouldn't necessarily create all of the questions that it did. And I think from the crypto ecosystem's perspective, there are some people who are building products for very specific verticals of customers that, yeah, I understand you're worried that like the legal implications to your business are going to be difficult. And that's where you're going to have to like think through those. But I think from our perspective, what you're seeing is at certain scales, there are certain businesses in the crypto ecosystem that have reached a level that have generated these policy discussions i mean the most clear answer is like at the exchange level right coinbase yeah exactly right and that's why you see the policy discussion so heated up but i also think you start to see the answers arrive a little bit there's obviously not an agreement on exactly what to do but i think if you grabbed anybody from any party from any agency and put them in a room and said what needs to be in place to regulate an entity like that well it's hey, we need to have some level of market integrity to make sure that you know the people trading on the market are being fair with each other. We need to have some level of consumer protection, right? Where the customers who are buying stuff know what they're getting and they're not being scammed. And we need to make sure these institutions, if they're big enough, have the capital to not fail on us and lose all of our money. And so those like basic concepts, everybody tends to agree on when you hit this scale. And it will be interesting to see of how many different areas crypto impacts with similar discussions and how long it takes to get to that agreement on what it takes to regulate these
0: right and you mentioned we're at the beginning of the spf trial i still believe in many ways the spf trial is not about crypto but it's about true just financial mismanagement at an epic scale and someone who just was not prepared for the business he created but i do think that we do see a ton of exploits and hacks and bad actors still dinging our reputation week in, week out. And I think people don't recognize, you know, it's still a pretty nascent industry, but it does feel like it really affects our brand, crypto as brand, right? So what's your approach on like those bad actors, those exploits and hacks? What's your opinion of where we are in the timeline with that stuff?
1: No, I definitely think, You know, where we are in the timeline. It's funny. It's like, is crypto a teenager yet? You know, or is (laughs) it like, like, how far are we down this road? Like, what does maturation look like? No, I actually think that's a great observation because one of the things that particularly putting like my former regulator hat on, one of the things you'll hear out of a lot of the regulators and policymakers is like, Hey, we know how to regulate this already. There are already rules applicable to this. You guys need to follow that. And that is largely true in certain cases, right? Don't steal other people's money. Be honest in your disclosures. Like those are not things that are specific to the crypto ecosystem and should be able to be learned lessons and implemented. That being said, there are very new risks as well, right? You talk about hacks, like the idea that hacks before crypto was always the idea of breaking into a company and getting their personal identifying information. It was never literally stealing the value out of a smart contract. And that is where I think The onus is on both the industry and the kind of regulatory policy environment to think about crypto in a slightly different context, right? Yes, bring along the old rules. But I mean, to bring it back to chain analysis, I think one of the most successful areas of this kind of policy debate and industry implementation of new ideas is around the adoption of blockchain analytics that says, hey, we need to have a sense of where our client's funds are coming from and going. We and the government need to be able to trace this activity when it happens. And guess what? Crypto presents a new paradigm to think about that with all this publicly available information that can kind of be assessed and investigated with tools like Chainalysis. I think the maturation of the industry will also come along with kind of the maturation of how we think about what is truly new here. Where do we have to create new rules? Where do we need to bring in new tools that think about this, right? Improving the hacking problem is not just a, hey, developers do a better job. You know, if you think about comparable industries of like building bridges, like engineering in another context, right? There's standards around this and there's safety reviews. And you've seen over the years, you know, again, going back to my time at 0x, there was a certain way things were done. And it's crazy to me how much things have evolved. But we're clearly in a position where things need to evolve a lot more. And when it comes back to like the brand question, when's the right time? And like, when do you feel comfortable with that level of risk, I think is going to be a sliding scale. Because in some ways, I do think the hardest thing with crypto is probably reputational risk, honestly, more than like legal and regulatory risk, right? It's like, hey, I'm in crypto, I'm building this. Well, isn't that all just for bad actors? And being able to have an answer to that and having a product that's usable, that's healthy and integrates all the things we've been talking about is going to be an important part for companies.
0: And I think about, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, I was like identity hacked, if you will, where someone was able to like charge some stuff on my Amex and do a wire out of my bank account. And I remember going to Chase and going to Amex and going to the police and all of them were like, "Okay, like it was so known at that point that it wasn't even worth chasing down. They were like, the insurance will just cover it and we're just going to move on from it and change all your passwords and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's just too juicy a story today because things happen at different scales. But credit cards and cash and anything where there is a transaction that someone will exploit, they kind of try. Crypto just... In the long run, and this is part of, I think, why you guys exist at Chainalysis, but in the long run, hopefully it actually becomes more traceable and has you kind know, of more opportunity to be something that we can protect ourselves against. And we spoke about this last time we spoke to Chainalysis, but the idea that a brand can pre-protect themselves by saying, Hey, I already have a list of wallets that I'm not going to accept any currency from. And I can do that before I drop my project
1: before I take crypto as a payment mechanism I think is really important. I definitely agree, which is the idea that like, hey, we've gotten used to our identities being stolen is not something good from a policy perspective in my mind to get like used to, right? It should generate new solutions to those problems. And on the identity theft, that's a difficult one, not an area I've spent you know all my time in, but I think like maybe the lesson that crypto needs to learn from that is these are solvable issues, right? Yeah, back in the day, you just kind of connected your wallet to anything and you took the chance on, you know, name your food DeFi project (laughs) of choice, right? But like now you're either building products or you're a consumer and there's hopefully a lot more layers to this that yes, preserves the privacy and the freedom that people want, but gives them the information to say like, let's stop making a lot of the mistakes that we've been made before. Totally,
0: Jason, My final question for you is you've spoken a lot about data and about transparency and about tracing and about privacy. I think that one of the complaints of the Web2 era is that our data was monetized. It was gamed. It was utilized to build these giant businesses. And we really got nothing in return. And often that was done whether we liked it or not. So because you guys see just such a large amount of data, I would just love what's your opinion on on-chain data, what that can reveal, like how one can stratify their customer base into that. And the idea of, do you see a world in Web3 that data actually becomes not only more valuable to both brand and consumer, but that it changes the paradigm of our relationship to our own data?
1: Yes, I definitely see that world. I think probably picking up on one of the words you said there at the end and a word that I used earlier, is it's definitely a new paradigm of data. You know, the Web 2 idea of we're going to scrape all the data you give us, we're going to monetize that by selling it out to third parties, is both not what I think the crypto ecosystem and people who are opting into it at this stage want, but also not the business models that most companies are trying to optimize for in this environment. So then, what is all of this data good for in a way, if you can't just like sell it on to advertisers, I think we're going to learn, right? I think from chain analysis perspective, it plays an important role in compliance. It plays a important role in like decision-making processes around like customer stratification, where are the opportunities. It plays an important role in monitoring risk, not just compliance, but like, hey, do I want to interact with this ecosystem of participants or this company? Can I look at their on-chain activity and get a sense of how risky the activities they're wanting to? And so I think it hopefully leads to a paradigm in which people are leveraging data for kind of what it's valuable at its heart, which is like the insights that it provides to making a decision and not just as a business ends in itself. And so I know at Chain Analysis, we take that really seriously, right? We play a role where we have a lot of data, right? We have a lot of insights and like, how we surface that, what business models we are, which customers we work with are really important to us. And I'm kind of hopeful that's part of that maturation process of the crypto ecosystem as well.
0: It's something that you said when we were speaking another time has really resonated with me, but also reminds me of what we've heard on this podcast from Mark Mathieu at Salesforce, or like what Keith Grossman, who was a time and is now at Moonpay, talks about all the time is like, data where you can understand who your best customers are versus the bad actors and what's the spectrum in between. Because any brand that can then say, oh, Jason is not only a customer, but is a really loyal and committed customer. How can I make his experience even better is part of the opportunity that comes out of what sort of the data in the system promises to be.
1: Yeah, that resonates with me. It's interesting, right? Because I think if we go back to some of the origins and some of the cultural elements at the heart of crypto, there is this, not desire for anonymity, but there's this desire of like, hey, it is, everybody's the same. There's no filtering anything. And that obviously has an important play, right? Like equal access to financial infrastructure is an important part of this. I tend to be of the belief that like, part of the negotiation of how that access looks like includes the government discussions as well. But I definitely think as you've seen the evolution of the ecosystem, you learn that actually, it's a much more data rich environment to be making much more strategic choices about that. And like, again, obviously, we've had success as a company for the years that we've been in existence. And I imagine that we will continue to in part because I'll go back to a word I like to use a lot with respect to chain analysis, that context as to what is occurring on a chain, becomes really important, right? It becomes important from policy and regulation. It becomes brands and sales. But, you know, it's just that is going to be an underlying element of all of this is what is the context of the relationships that you have with people on-chain? Amazing. Jason Simonsato, head of North American public policy
0: at Chainalysis. Thank you so much for spending a bit of time with us. And we will make sure in the show notes, we will tag how to find you as well as Chainalysis. And uh, appreciate you
1: coming by. Yeah, thanks so much, Sam. This was great.